So welcome this morning. Um, it's uh, again we come we come on a Sunday morning and in lockdown, and we continue to have our services live uh, through Zoom. Lockdown's a really interesting time for us. We, we it's not that we're unfamiliar to lockdown as Melbourneians, but we still have to work really intentionally to make sure that we keep ourselves focused on the things that we need to be doing. I've been saying all along that God never stops working and so we need to um, always be intentional about what we're doing and making sure that we don't slip into habits that aren't good for us, that aren't good for our minds, that aren't good for our souls. Um, we don't want to become people uh, that develop these sort of habits. So we really need to focus knowing that the uh, kingdom of God is is to be established and uh, and to really focus on the work of the Lord. So can I encourage you, one, one thing that you can be doing is continuing to reach out to people, reach out to connect with people on the phone, go for walks if you can, if you're in that distance together. Uh, continue to reach out to people. Uh, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on today, uh, his word. Uh, we're going to read a passage from the Gospel of Mark uh, in Chapter 4, um, and I pray that you are encouraged uh, through the word through the word this morning. So let's join me as we as we pray, as we pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for the gift of life and the gift of your spirit that changes everything about us. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, your word of truth and it's only your word that is going to really help us in life. And we pray this morning that we can understand it, that we can dig deep into it and we can receive it with all our hearts. Father, I pray, help me um, as you deliver your word, that what is spoken is blessed by you uh, and are the words that you want to be spoken. Father, encourage my brothers and sisters and anyone that is here for the first time. Encourage them and work in their hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark chapter 4, I want to read a passage from Mark chapter 4, if you can open up your Bibles. Um, and it's a passage that a lot of you would be familiar with. And you probably remember that time when Jesus and his disciples were in the boat, uh, and all of a sudden there's this unexpected storm in the boat. And so let's read this uh, short passage in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses starting from verse, um, in fact, I want to start from verse 33. Look at verse 33, because Jesus had spoken about a lot of parables. There were a lot of parables in this, uh, uh, in this passage. And he says this, and Bob says this, and with, and, and with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Wow, how privileged. Have one-to-one -one intimate Bible study with Jesus about the parables. How beautiful. Verse 35, and on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats also were also with him. And when a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, it's a really interesting passage, and I pray that I do some justice to the passage this morning by the help of God's Spirit, because you've probably heard lots of sermons on this passage, and you've probably been so encouraged and so inspired that maybe what I'm going to share with you this morning is going to be really simple compared to what you've heard before. But I want to I want to just remind you of a really some really important things in this passage to encourage us and to strengthen us and to help us remain steadfast in our trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me start with something that Paul often does when he finishes his letters. The Apostle Paul has this familiar kind of style or format when he he writes a letter perhaps to the Thessalonians or maybe to the Galatians or to the Ephesians. He's got this kind of way that he wraps up his letters. He's got this phrase that he uses in sort of different ways, but it's very familiar. Let me read one of those, and that's found in 1 Thessalonians. It says this. It says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Yeah, so you've probably familiarised yourself with that. You probably know that when you're finishing a letter of the Apostle Paul, this is a similar way that he always ends with his letters or most times. He says, God's grace be with you. Jesus be with you. The grace of God be with you. The peace of God be with you. And, and he sort of ends this way and you sort of think to yourself, why does he do that? Is it just a nice way to wrap it up? Like we've got our you know, signatures at the end of our emails and you say yours sincerely and then you wrap it and you send it off. Is it just kind of his, his uh, statement that he uses as he ends his letters or is there something a bit more to it? I don't know. But I tell you what, after everything he shares with them in the letters, often in the letters, and you can imagine the people reading these letters thinking to themselves, okay, this, these are the things we've got to do. These are the things that Christians have to do. You know, these are the things that, that the, the, the faithful servant of Jesus is committed to doing. I'm going to need God's grace. Yeah, I'm going to need God's grace to do it. You know, because, you know, to fight the battles, to overcome sin, to do the work of the Lord, to be, to be faithful in the, in the face of persecution. All these things that the Apostle Paul tells us about, to be, you know, the walk of holiness and righteousness, all these things that he tells us about, boy, oh boy, oh boy, I'm going to need the grace of God. And so he kind of ends these letters perhaps for this very reason. The grace of God be with you. This is what you're going to need. This is what's going to to empower you and strengthen you and enable you and and perhaps reassure you and comfort you because these are the things through through all the battles of life, the Christian life, that are going to carry you through because unless you're living on some other planet, you know, the Christian life is full of battles. Now, life is full of battles. Don't you agree? And you you don't even have to be a Christian to know that life is full of battles. But how much are these intensified? How much are these kind of highlighted, if you like, sometimes for Christians in different circumstances in their life? Perhaps they could have totally avoided it if they weren't Christians. But at the end of the day, God's grace is carrying them. God's grace is holding them. And if you ever watch a sports game like a grand final of some kind, whether it's AFL or netball or basketball, and you watch a kind of the the grand final and it's been a, a year of difficulty for the team and and struggles and injuries and pain and training and sweat and 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 they're working really hard to get to this final game and then eventually they get to that final game that grand final and the team wins 
you often see what happens at, at that moment, yeah? At that moment, what tends to happen is everyone goes crazy. They jump all over each other. People are falling on the floor, rolling over each other out of excitement. The support and administration team are running onto the ground, jumping over everyone. And there's this sense of excitement because at the end of the day, all the sweat and tears and training and hard work throughout the year has come to fulfillment and they've won the final. Can you imagine heaven? Can you imagine heaven? When you and I sweat it out now and, and, and we, are, we are doing a life together and it's hard and it's tough and there's injury and there's weeping and there's tears and there's struggles and, and that the, the life itself brings upon us and then, then intensified by the Christian life and then we get to heaven and the siren goes and all of a sudden there is rejoicing so much so that we cannot, it's uncontainable. Hang in there, brothers and sisters. Hold on to the captain of your faith. Be steadfast to the very end. Because the time will come where the end will be here and, and all will pass and you will be rejoicing uh, in the sight of our Lord uh, with the angels. And there will be a, uh, a celebration unlike far greater, that exceeds far greater than you've ever seen because we have persisted to the end. And though the world mocks the Christian faith and the, though the world mocks the cross, for us it is life. Though it's a vapour of an aroma of death to them, it's an aroma of life to us. And we thank the Lord for that. This passage is, is, is in a sense, um, uh, a beautiful passage to help us understand something about the relationship between God and his creation. God is, God is continuing to, to, to work in his creation in such a way that they are able to understand him more and more. It's almost like the creation, you and I, spend our whole lives, our whole Christian lives, understanding him more and more, and God is spending our whole Christian lives revealing himself more and more so he can be understood. And I don't know about you, but I'm still in the process of understanding God more and more. And it's like as I search for him more and more, God is revealing himself more and more so he can be known. And this is beautiful relationship between us, our God, and his creation. And I can, I can honestly say there are many times in my life where I, I look to the Lord and I say, Lord, I just don't know. I read something and I say, Lord, I don't know. Someone sh shares a scripture with me and I think, I don't know. You know, there are so many times, and this still happens in my Christian life. Someone shares, and I think I kind of think I know, but at the end, I don't know. And, and I start, and I ask God, Lord, what what could this be saying? And that's from a knowledge perspective. Uh, from a practical perspective, it's just as intense. There are things that happen in my life, and I, I look up to the Lord and I say, or well, things that I hear about, and I look up to the Lord and I say, Lord, I just don't get it. I don't know. I don't get it. And what God is doing all along is he's revealing, I believe, more and more and more of himself that I can know how to trust him more and more and more. Because sometimes we do, we throw our hands in the air and we think, Lord, I just don't know. I just don't get it. And in this passage, we get a glimpse of something that the Lord Jesus Christ is doing with his disciples. Because remember, he was a very intimate relationship with his disciples, very, very intimate relationship. And, and he, he had chosen them, he had called them, and now they were, go, they were going through this experience together on the boat. Um, and, and I want to be able to share with you something about what was happening for them at the core. Perhaps 
one thought I've got in what they have, what was happening for them at the core. But I think at the end of the day, what God is is really doing in this situation is being able to bring out in them a, a trust unlike they've ever experienced. Think about someone you trust in your life. Think about someone in your life at the moment that you say, you know what, I can really trust this person. I can really trust them. You know, I can trust them with some, uh, uh, some secret or some idea. I can trust them with something I, I, I belongs to me. I can really trust this person. Think about someone in your life like that. Perhaps I think most of you could think of at least one person that you could say you could really trust, and yet God takes it to a whole nother level. His faithfulness and truth, his reliable, reliability and consistency, his unchanging nature and promise takes it to a whole nother level that he will never let us down. He's asking children about different things for advice. And one child was talking about trust. And this child said, quite funny, this child said, you know what? Actually, I'll read it out to you. This child said, um, never trust dogs to watch your food. (laughs) Pretty smart advice, yeah? Don't trust dogs to watch your food because you know what? It's going to go. The level of trust, in some ways, it's good counsel because, you know, at the end of the day, there are things and people, or rather people we trust trust and we also learn about who it's smart not to trust yeah not to trust as well now i'm not saying don't trust people because trusting people is a good thing but never at the level in which we trust god never at the point of dependency that we trust god with because this is where god is bringing us to god is bringing us to the place that we are able to trust him listen this passage is really fascinating and I hope to encourage you in some ways around this because think about it in the context of scripture just just go with me for a moment and think about it in the context of the whole bible here we have Jesus on in the boat asleep on the pillow yep and there's a windstorm that arises and the disciples rush to him pleading with him suggesting that he doesn't care that they're perishing it's an incredibly fascinating passage of scripture But think about it in the light of all of Scripture. Listen to this. Remember back in the day when Elijah was contending with the prophets of Baal? Remember that? Here they were crying out to their gods. And what does Elijah say to them? He says this. And so it was was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, um, cry aloud for he's a god. Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's in a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. (laughs) So Elijah used this idea of God being asleep as a way of mocking the prophets of Baal, of of highlighting just how insignificant or incapable their gods are. Interesting, isn't it? But then, then the sons of Korah in Psalms say it in a different way. In their pain, And in their suffering, listen to what they say. Awake. This is what they're talking to God. Awake. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise. Do not cast us off forever. Now, before we criticize the sons of Korah, you've got to understand that there are experiences in the Christian life and experiences in your life where sometimes in the depth of your heart, that's how it feels. 
And so, so they, they, they're just brave enough, bold enough to put it on paper, you know, to write a song about it. Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Do not cast us off forever. This feeling of a sense of, Lord, we are in desperate need of you and there's a sense that we feel your silence. Ever felt like that before? Maybe now you feel like that. Maybe this is the experience of today for you. But I tell you, the sons of Korah understood it as well. But then we have the promise in Psalms when the psalmist says this, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Wonderful, isn't it? And so the psalmist kind of declares and it says, you know the God that we serve? He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always aware and he's always awake and he's always ready to be the helping hand for his people. His silence doesn't indicate his lack of care or that he's sleeping, having a nap of some kind. And in the context of these scriptures, we have this very interesting passage about our Lord who's sleeping in the boat. Why does the Bible even bother to tell us about the sleeping Jesus? Why does it even bother to do this? You know, there's a whole range of possibilities in this, and I, I, love, I love to imagine. So imagine with me for a moment. Was, was, it, was it to show his humanity? Was it to show that, you know what, at the end of the day, Jesus was a man, and he got tired and he slept, just like he got hungry and just like he got thirsty, and he was tired, so he slept. You know, we, we forget often of the humanity of Christ. We see him as some kind of superhero of some kind that is, is, is untouchable by the, by the effects of life. But we don't know what he went through. The Bible doesn't tell us in the depth of every single thing he experienced. For all we know, and please don't um, accuse me of some heresy here, but for all we know, he could have had this throbbing headache when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know. He could have had a backache as he was trying to communicate to, to people about the truths of God and as he spoke, his, ache, his back ached. We don't know. But in his weakness, he was strong and he, and he shared the word, he preached the word, and in his humanity, he did what humans do and he experienced what humans experienced. But he did not allow these things to control his life to the point where he stopped doing the will of God. They were real. <laughs> that they they weren't um, they they weren't considered to be ungodly, unspiritual, and here he was experiencing perhaps for all we know just being tired. <laughs> the Bible says this. Listen, Hebrews four: for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. How beautiful is that? So he experienced all the fleshly, um, earthly, human conditions that fight against our nature, that draw us to want to sin against God. Yet he didn't sin. So that we, in the same light, can face all the human elements of life and all the temptations of life and yet remain steadfast in him yes brothers and sisters yet remain steadfast in him overcoming these things in light of all the human elements of life because he can sympathize 
with us? Is it here to show his humanity? Is it here to show that he could trust his heavenly father in the midst of the storm? There is nothing to suggest that Jesus couldn't have drowned. There's every possibility that he could have drowned. He was human. But is it here to show us that Jesus could quietly trust in the protection of his heavenly father and the will of his heavenly father? Or is it here that we can learn to trust our heavenly father just that much more, that bit more or deeper? Because we know and trust that just like the Lord Jesus did it, we walk in the footsteps of our Lord. But there, there, there could be a whole number of reasons. But listen, there are many things that we can glean from this passage. But can I draw out one thing this morning? One thing. And I'm not saying it's the only thing here, but can I just draw out one thing this morning? That one of the things we can take from this passage is that God is at work. Listen, God is at work in order for us to understand who we are at the core of our being. I want to say that again. Listen carefully to this. Listen carefully. That God is working so that you and I can understand in this passage and in our lives that we can understand, we can comprehend more clearly who we are at the core of our being. Listen why. Because at the core, very, very deep core of our being, we are not able to trust God. Do you understand? We can't. At the very core of our being, you cannot trust God. I cannot trust God. And what God is doing, God is working. God is working and working and working to bring us to a place that we're able to safely trust him so that we, like Jesus, one day can also sleep in that boat. Sleep in that boat while the storm's going. That there is such a peace in our hearts that we are sleeping just like he did. But at the core, we're not capable of this. And God is working to accomplish this in our lives. So having said that, let me just draw out two or three passages or verses in this passage. Firstly, verse 33 and verse 34, Jesus explains the, um, the, the, um, the parables to his disciples. You know, this system is something really significant. He, he was speaking to all these people, and yet to his disciples, he had this intimate relationship with them. He was boy, He was absolutely committed to his disciples. He wanted to make sure they were, they were, they were ready uh, to, to, to roll with the ministry when he left this earth. He needed to make sure that he equipped them, prepared them in knowledge, and guess what? In experience as well. Yeah, inexperienced too. So he was he was great. Jesus was there, you know, sharing his the, the, the parables and then intimately unpacking the, the parables with his disciples. It's a bit like you, you go to a Thursday night uh, or a Wednesday night and you're you're blown away by the, the beautiful word of God. And you're enriched by the blessings of the studies on these nights. But that's part of what God is doing. So then you wake up on a Friday morning and you face your trial. And all of a sudden, what's happening on that Friday morning, you're getting, you're, Jesus is equipping you, not just in knowledge, but in life. 
and you wish to yourself, oh, I wish I can go back to Thursday night because it was so peaceful. I was watching, I was listening to the word of God and it was, I just felt like I was, it was just so good. You know, it was just, it was so enriching and, and now I've got to face Friday and it's such a battle. But no, 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 this is, this is the plan of God. This is the plan of God. God is enriching you with your understanding so that you can go off and be enriched in life. And the, and the practice of life is just as significant as your understanding of, of the word. And so here he is unpacking the word of God and they're just about to face a trial and a big one indeed because remember some of these would be some of these men would be familiar with water but they were going to go beyond what they were familiar with. So in verse 37, uh, sorry, verse 36, uh, Jesus says, then let's let's cross over to uh, the other side. Uh, and they and they take off and they do these things. And then they come to they come, it comes to verse 37. Look at this. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already, uh, so that it was already filling. Now it's interesting because everything's fine, <laughs> everything's cool, everything's great until verse thirty-seven. It's like the Christian who says, "You know what? Yeah, I'll follow Jesus. I'll come to the other side. Yeah, I'll come to the other side. Get in the boat. Yeah, I'll get in the boat. I don't love water that much, but you know, it's a bit uncomfortable. But that's okay. I'll follow Jesus because isn't Christianity meant to be maybe a little bit uncomfortable at times? And you know, you get on the boat and everything's fine. It's like the Christian is happy to go with Jesus all the way to verse thirty-seven. Then it's like, hang on, hang on a second here. Who told? No one told me about this. It's meant, it's not meant to be this hard, is it? Christianity." And all of a sudden, what um, uh, what what the the, the the temptation of Christians is? You know, I'll, I'll do Christianity verse verse 30, uh, 34, 35, 36. That's my Christianity. Teach me Jesus. Unpack the truths. I'll go with you for a bit of a journey. I'll even get on the water with you while you're in the boat with me. That's pretty cool. But that's about it. And then they kind of put a line there in the scripture. And that's why. There are many people who point the finger at other Christians, I think, and find themselves very critical of not only the disciples uh, but other Christians uh, as well because they won't go to verse 37. They're happy to stop at verse 36. You see, verse 38 is one of the most remarkable verses in the Bible, brothers and sisters, really is. One of the most remarkable verses in the Bible, verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's remarkable in so many ways. Firstly, Jesus is asleep. Okay, that's remarkable. In the midst of a storm, he's asleep. Is he a heavy sleeper? I don't know. Is he just able to trust his father? Secondly, he's on a pillow. <laughs> that's, that, that's another, you know, mind-boggling thing in itself if you know the scriptures. Thirdly, he, he was required to be wakened. You know, he, it was a required, like they needed to wake him up. It wasn't like the storm woke him up. They needed to wake him up. And, and, and lastly, the suggestion of the disciples, the suggestion that, um, uh, that he didn't care that they were perishing. I mean, look how much, how many things in this, this verse do you think to yourself, where do I start? Well, I'm not going to go through each one in detail, but, but these are, this is quite a remarkable verse. But what I want to highlight is this, how easy it is to criticise the disciples and for us to say to ourselves, 
Come on, guys. He's in the boat with you, for goodness sake. He's in the boat. You know, get a life. Get some faith. And how easy for us to look at the disciples and become so critical of their experiences. How easy for us when we sit in the comfort of our homes and our lovely couches and we point our finger at the disciples who were prepared to go to verse 37, who were prepared to do that, and then to look at them and think to ourselves, oh, come on, guys, seriously? Or we look at other Christians and we think, come on, seriously, you can't, you can't do that. But we ourselves won't get up and move, but we're comfortable in criticising. It's like, the, it's like a, a child at school, you know, it's an athletics day and someone's running, one of their friends is running and they're laughing at their friend because they're running really funny, but they themselves won't get on the track or the swimming carnival and they're laughing at their friends swimming in the water, but they won't get in the water, but they're happy to laugh from the sidelines. How easy is it for us to criticise the disciples at their experience here? But let me tell you something, things that we probably don't even know. Let me give you some assumptions. And, again, this could, I could be wrong here, but let me give you some real possible things that were going through their minds to make their experience even more so that Jesus at the core can bring out of them the need to trust him. Things we're not told about. For example, for, in a matter of seconds, these are the things that have been, could have been going through their minds. Um, hang on, what's going on here? He told us, wasn't he that told us, let's go to the other side? <laughs> they could have been thinking to themselves, hey, we didn't even want to be here. We didn't want to be here. He made us be here. They could have been thinking that. They could have been thinking to themselves, oh, my wife, my children, what's going to happen? I gave up everything to follow this man and now I'm going to die. My wife and my children, what are they going to think? What's going to happen to them? Who's going to look after them? Because we know some of the apostles were married. They could have been thinking that in seconds. They could have been thinking to themselves, um, what's going on here? He helped other people. How come he can't help us now? By that stage, what Jesus had done, many things. Jesus had healed a, a paralysed man. He had cleansed the leper. Um, I think he, there was another couple of miracles he had done by, that, by this stage. They could be thinking to, us, thinking to themselves, I don't get this. He helped them. Why can't he help us? They might have even started to doubt, is this guy really who he says he was, who he says he is? They, 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 this is all in seconds in the storm. And before. Um, before you judge them for these things, I want you to think to yourself, have you ever thought these things as well? Have these thoughts ever crossed your mind and challenged your faith? Have they ever put you into a situation where God is revealed at the core of your being, you can't trust him? That at the very core, when it's all stripped back, you lack so much trust. And God is revealing these things to get to the very core, not the nice surface bit, not the nice pretty outward facade that you put on, but the very core. Do I really trust him with my whole life? And then think about Jesus. <laughs> he gets woken up. Think about his humanity and his approach to it. Have you ever been woken up suddenly? In a state of emergency? Have you ever, have someone's woken you up and said, you've got to come and do this? Have you reacted? Or, 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 or someone's woken you up and they've been critical of something? They've woken you up and they've spoken harshly to you or critically to you? Have you, have you ever had that experience? Well, how, how do you, or just even woken up? How do you respond? 
And he's Jesus. Or, or do you like being woken up when, you know, someone brings you breakfast in bed and you, oh, happy birthday, and they wake you up and you act all surprised. Oh, no, you are surprised maybe. And, and, and you come and, they, and do you like being woken up like that? But what about Jesus? He's asleep. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of takes me a few moments to kind of get my bearings together when I wake up in the morning. Um, but here's Jesus gets woken up and then gets accused. He's, he's kind of thinking, it's almost like he's got to think, hang on, what's going on here? Yet, yet with a level of trust, not reacting to them, yelling at them, you know, telling them off for being so obsessively um, 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 faithless. And so in his humanity, in his humanity and in his level of trust to the Father, he is able to rise and, and respond to the, the situation. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm not going to judge these guys, seriously. I'm not going to blame them, let alone judge them. Because I don't know about you, but I think about all my responses over the years, and, and boy, oh boy, in all my responses over the years, I have learnt over the years more and more how there are times I have no trust for God in the core of my being and how God has taught me and trained me and equipped me and enabled me in the midst of what appears to be the most helpless situation to trust him. This pandemic's a, a, a small part of the, the hundreds, if not thousands, of experiences we go through in life. We're not moved by a pandemic. We're moved by a heart at the core that can't trust him. Where we continue not to uh, act foolishly to the world, but faithfully in our trust in the Father. And here he was um, uh, uh, responding to a situation with them because there's going to be situations in our lives we're going to find ourselves, okay, we may not find ourselves, we, most, of, most of you may not find yourself in a boat in the middle of a sea in a windstorm in your life, but I think you're going to find yourself, uh, not I think, you will find yourself in times that are unpredictable, unplanned, unwanted. And in those moments, God is going to be working to bring you to a place where you can safely trust him and be sleeping in the boat as well. It's exciting. It's exciting. But I want to, don't want to confuse things, brothers and sisters, as I begin to wrap this up. I don't want to confuse things. There are, there are emotions that will exist with faith and then there are emotions that will exist without faith. And in a lot of ways, they're actually very similar. They're actually the same even in, in many ways. And while, while when a man or a woman has faith, even in the boat, unpredictability, unwanted, unplanned circumstances, even when we've got faith, there are emotions we will carry for a season that we can't shake off, whether they are emotions of sadness or or nervousness or a level of anxiety about things. And there are, there are going to be emotions that will stay for a season until we, uh, we continue and persist in the trust of the Lord and they begin to, to wash off us. And that is so different to the emotions that exist when we don't have faith because these things not just exist but they blow up and blow out of proportion and they begin to control us rather than our faith control them. I sometimes liken it like this if it helps you. 
Sometimes it's like we're on a train, like, and, and we're, we're, we've got to we've got to ride those emotions, and even with faith, we've got to ride them. And we're on this train, and maybe the carriage we're currently in is a carriage of of sadness, and we know we're going to have to be in this carriage for a couple of stations. But the train's moving forward. It's moving forward, and we've got to ride this emotion. We're trusting God, but we can't get out of this carriage for maybe a couple of stations. But we know, we know, and we know God is faithful that in one or two stations we're going to be able to get out and get into another carriage that feels much better. But until that time, we ride that emotion because that's our humanness. But we trust and we move forward. We don't act inappropriately in that carriage. We don't yell and scream and shout in that carriage. We don't lie and swear and and, and throw tantrums in in that carriage. We trust him and we hold on and we move forward. And the train is going forward. And we thank the Lord for that because that's what sometimes life is. Verse 39, let's finish this. Verse 39, and he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace. Oh, how good is our God? Peace, be still. (laughs) Again, we can talk so much about this, but you, you know what's happening here. People talk about the calm before the storm. This is the storm before the calm. Yeah. Jesus said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, depending how you want to say Jesus said this can change the whole thing. You know, did he say it in a rebuking way? Did he say it in a compassionate way? You decide. But nonetheless, what he's drawing out of them is what doesn't exist and what needs to exist. And the experience is going to bring them there. Yeah, they've got all the knowledge about the parables maybe the day before, but now the experience is going to bring them there to that place of trust, knowing that God has got this. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. That's, that's, that's not just to the waves, but it's to our hearts as well. And he shares this uh, with them. Um, and so um, I know at the very core of my being, as God's working in my life, I'm going to be able to bring, come to a place my faith grows and is able to be able to say with Jesus or to experience what Jesus is saying is peace, peace be still. Now, verse 40, uh, let me finish with verse, verse 41. Uh, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? <laughs> now, it's interesting because if the disciples had not gone through this experience, they would have only known, perhaps in their head, the story of Jonah, where God calms the sea. This theory that God calms the sea. But to have lived the experience, to have gone through the unpredictable, unplanned, unwanted experiences of life, and then to have heard uh, revealed the core of our being and learned to trust and heard the voice of Jesus, peace be still. Now they have learned something that knowledge could never give them. Through the experience, they were able to understand something about their God they had never experienced before, they never knew before. Now to them, not God calms the sea, but wow, God really calms the sea. Get it? 
and they wouldn't have been able to come to this depth of understanding and experience had, by the grace of God, they had not been able to go through it. There is knowledge and then there's experience. And God is working in both to bring about in us a place or a faith that we can sleep in the boat as well. So let me finish with the same thing I started with because perhaps it's the time to stop to pause, to take a deep breath before the Lord and say, Lord, you're in control. And let me finish with what the Lord, uh, with what I started with the Apostle Paul. And in all this, as you go on learning to trust peacefully in the risen Christ, Let me share with you what Paul shares in Thessalonians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Go be blessed, brothers and sisters. Know this is a season that you're experiencing, that I'm experiencing, that we're experiencing, that is bringing out of us greater things than perhaps we can ever imagine. Let me pray for us. Loving Father, I want to thank you for today. I thank you, Lord God, for your most beautiful word. Lord, we don't point our fingers at the disciples. We look and point our finger back at us and look first at me, Lord, at the core of my being, to be able to trust you safely, to find peace in you, and to be still because of you. Lord, I pray for the church that we continue to do what you have called us to do and to be the people that you've allowed us to be. Bless them, Father, and make your face to shine upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.